Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Have you ever seen Ralph Bakshi's Wizards or Fire and Ice? Or have you seen the movie Heavy Metal? Or maybe you've visited Eternia, where Prince Adam becomes He-Man in the times of need to conquer the evil Skeletor. If any of these settings are familiar to you, then you know that there's the common thread through these, that they're fantasy worlds with science fiction technology. I feel like back in, I guess, maybe the 70s, possibly during the 80s, I'm not really sure, I haven't really tracked it, but I feel like there was a point at which there wasn't really a set expectation yet about what fantasy was and what science fiction was, and it was all kind of lumped together, sci-fi fantasy or just speculative fiction, as we sometimes still call it. No one knew what the rules were, and so the authors of this content would play pretty fast and loose with what are now fairly strict genres. And this pops up in the the examples I've just mentioned, but in other places too. If you've ever read Jack Vance's Dying Earth, that's a great example. It's set in the far, far future, but reading it generally feels like it's a fantasy novel. We saw it in Frank Herbert's Dune as well, where it's it's clearly a science fiction universe, and and yet there's this this central theme of of magic or or at least psionics. And I guess in in even more popular culture, bringing it really out of the the realm of of the the back aisle of the bookstore where they keep all the science fiction and fantasy paperbacks, there's Star Wars, which, which borrowing heavily, presumably from Dune, you've got the, the same kind of situation, except instead of in the far, far future, it's in the far, far past, but there's that, that strong sense of magic within your, your very obviously science fiction setting. I don't know how well role-playing games have reflected that sense of freewheeling fantasy sci-fi blend it doesn't tend to be pretty uh, to to be common i don't think it does happen obviously but in 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 the rpg world as with movies and video games really it it, it and books it it seems that the modern day mind set is that you can either have a fantasy world or you can have a science fiction world and you're allowed to like both but you're not supposed to mix the two together it's kind of a little bit strange that we've gone in that in that direction especially since at least as far as i can tell a lot of the audience for fantasy and for science fiction they they actually cross over a lot not always there are the 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 parts of that gantt chart that that do not intersect and and that's fine but it is kind of interesting that that 
that the part that does intersect seems to have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, both in in what's available and 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 the the people who appear to to want that sort of crossover. It it's hard to say which is the cause and which is the effect, or or maybe it's a mutual mutual effect. Who knows? Point is, I feel like a lot of people want, when they sit down at the RPG table, they expect a fantasy setting. Or, maybe some people expect a science fiction setting. But but I think even even stronger is that kind of classic experience of, I want to play a fantasy RPG. And I don't know if that's because we see that on on TV and we hear about it from friends just because Dungeons and Dragons as a a with its primary setting being a fantasy world maybe that's just what most people who are seeking to get into it that's the seed that is planted into their head and so when they go to play the game that's what they expect that's what they want in order that's what they want to experience because that's what they've heard about that's what has intrigued them you just don't hear that much about science fiction role playing. And and frankly, I'm I'm one of those people. When I sit down at an RPG table, if I have the choice, uh, 7 times out of 10, I'm going to take fantasy. Just because that is for me the classic role playing genre. That's the thing that I want to experience because it's the thing that I got introduced to. That for me is the RPG experience. So there's a lot of sort of nostalgia and familiarity and comfort in that fantasy setting. At the same time, there's a lot of nostalgia and familiarity and comfort with many of the examples that I mentioned at the top of the episode. He-Man, maybe if you grew up in the 80s or or grew up around the 80s, then you probably know of He-Man. If you, and I think there was actually a reboot recently as well, not quite the same, but you, it, it exists. Maybe you've seen some of the wacky animated films or read some of the really crazy Jack Vance books. Whatever your introduction to this idea, this concept of there being laser guns in a fantasy setting, it's a really fun twist on something that we all thought we knew pretty well, which is the fantasy world. I feel like the the farther you stray from the traditional introductory fantasy of J.R.R. Tolkien, the more tolerant you become of this idea of, in a high magic setting, there may as well be technology. Because the two, as Arthur C. Clarke famously wrote, are basically indistinguishable. And that's what I want to look at in this episode. And I'll take another look at sort of some technology, or a technological heavy setting soon as well, but in this episode I want to talk specifically about a Paizo product called, quite simply, Technology Guide. It was released as a Pathfinder campaign setting. It is about 68 pages long, so it's, for for a Paizo book, I think of that as being a, a relatively short book. It was released, as far as I know, and as far as I recall, around the same time as the Iron Gods campaign. So the Iron Gods campaign is an adventure path put out by Paizo. I think it contains six books, which I think most of their adventure paths typically do. I, I, I feel like that's that's true. 
six books, uh, about a hundred pages each. So it's a pretty pretty major work, really, all together. If you go through the entire thing, it's a six hundred page adventure. A six hundred page campaign will definitely keep your gaming group busy. Or if you're just reading it for ideas and for fun and for discovery, it'll it'll keep you reading for a while. It's a big book, or a big big set of books. And the Iron Gods campaign, the idea behind it, I don't feel like I'm giving too much away here by simply saying that because you, you, you kind of get the feel for it if you if you pick up the book in the in the bookstore, you'll you'll it's right there on the front cover and on the back cover, and certainly within the first couple of pages. You get the idea pretty quickly that Iron God's campaign, as even its name suggests, is a book about technology in the fantasy world of Galarian, which is the default world of, or the default setting for Pathfinder. And make no mistake, this isn't Spelljammer-style technology where they take the, the idea of a fantasy world and send them into a fantasy outer space where you're sort of sailing between these crystal spheres on this great flotsam of 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 space where you can breathe and there's gravity and it's very Jules Verne sort of outer space interpretation no this is technology this is future technology from an advanced civilization the 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 center of advanced technology on Galarian is a place called Numeria and none of this none of the campaign setting stuff none of that lore is open game content. So I'm going to I'm I'm not going to really talk about how or why the technology enters this campaign. I'm simply going to talk about the technology and how it interacts with a game and how it affects a fantasy world because I think that sort of thing is is a an interesting and and somewhat unique prospect. I mean, it's not wholly unique, because, as I say, there were things like Ralph Bakshi's fantasy movies, and Jack Vance's Dying Earth setting, and He-Man, and probably lots of other examples that I'm not thinking of. But it's, it is still somewhat unique. It's something that not everyone does anymore, at least. So it's, it's something that, that bringing that into a story could set things apart a little bit. There is an interesting parallel as well between the technology guide of Pathfinder to the system that came out about two years later from the same company called Starfinder. I've been playing a little bit of Starfinder here and there when I can, and the parallels are, are pretty, pretty cool, actually, because you you start seeing things in Pathfinder in the... or, or rather in Starfinder, the, the science fiction, the pure science fiction setting, that maybe you knew about from the the crossover of science fiction and fantasy in Pathfinder. So that's been kind of kind of interesting. The technology guide though, which is available as either in a hard copy or you can get it as a PDF from Paizo.com, the technology guide goes into how you can integrate technology into your fantasy world, and it does so in a surprisingly frank way. It it says what I've kind of assumed for a very long time, which which oddly seems to throw a lot of people for a complete loop, 
and that is that since technology is so much like magic, honestly, to most of us, I mean, you may or may not understand a lot about technology, but at cer a certain point, harnessing powers of electricity in such a way that it triggers virtual switches, binary switches on a CPU in such a number that instruction sets can be built around this response. And then that response itself controls a kernel, and that kernel controls your operating system, and so on, even if it is just a, a small device. That, to really, most of us, that that is magic. That's That may as well be something that happens without any explanation, because the explanation is so far from our understanding that until you go to school and study it and really, really learn about about electrical engineering and then about programming and all that stuff that is dependent upon, it is it, it may as well be magical. And so it, it states in the introduction in the technology guide that since it is so much like magic, you can basically treat it as magic. And so the the idea of a destruction laser beam really is no different than a disintegrate spell, for instance. A death ray is basically a destruction spell with a few flavor tweaks and rule adjustments. That's a quote straight from the book. And furthermore, you can skin things one way or the other such that you can use technology in your campaign without using technology, or you can use magic in your campaign, but turn it into technology. For instance, maybe you want some way to hack into a robot and control it yourself. Well, if you're in a technology setting and you have someone who can specialize in hacking, then you call it hacking. If you don't, then you create a magic wand called the Rod of Construct Control, and you use the stats on page 51 of the technology guide for the RoboJack. And the examples are endless. Every, every technological feature introduced in the technology guide could be skinned as, as pure magic, and several of the existing pure magic systems or, or items could be reskinned to be to be very clever technological items. There are no new skills introduced in the technology guide, so this is a you get the technology essentially for free, although that said there are some skill expansions that get introduced to deal with some of the, the very specific technology concerns. So for instance the craft skill gets a new uh, concentration craft mechanical, which is an intelligence-based check, uh, check, and it ensures that the that the player is able to craft hinges and gears and pulleys, but also deal with modern technology or, or science fiction technology, I should say. There are some feats accompanying that on page six of the technology guide.
and those feats aren't too too shabby really they're they're kind of cool for instance you have a craft cybernetics you can build cyberware and install it into a creature's body so you can have cyborgs prerequisites are that you are a technologist that you have nine ranks in healing and nine ranks in knowledge engineering and the benefit to this feat is that you can create cybernetic items. Creating a cybernetic item takes one day for every 1,000 gold pieces in the item's price. To create the object, you must use up raw materials, costing half of this total price. See Crafting High-Tech Items on page 16, and so on. You can also repair broken cybernetic items uh, if it is one that you can make. Doing so costs half the raw materials and half the time it would take to craft one from scratch. So that's your basic sort of self-sufficient cybernetic introduction into into your game. You can also do a craft pharmaceuticals, and and it, it's similar. You again nine ranks in heal, nine ranks in knowledge, nature that time, and then you've got the same kind of crafting rules. It takes time and it takes money. Pharmaceuticals obviously is the tech version of the magical potions that are pretty common in a fantasy game. I think you would probably want to have one or the other, I imagine. I mean, it feels weird to me to have magic potions and then to also have a technological or, or scientific explanation for those because then then your technology does start to break down science. Or, or, or rather, it starts to break down magic. It starts to, to erode on, on the, the magicfulness of everything. Whereas if your technology is really just magic packaged up nice and tidy, then I, I feel like that's a little bit different. But, I mean, you could also spin it differently. You know, maybe this pharmaceutical, maybe the method of making some, a pharmaceutical does involve m magic, or, or maybe the magic that was used to make these magical potions all along was actually just a, a form of science. So it's not a, not a huge stretch. And I, I, really, I really enjoy the idea of mixing those things together. I, I really do like that because it's it is it makes magic a little bit more approachable. Or, seen a different way, it makes science a little bit less approachable. Which that's never really been a problem for me, so that's not really how I think of it. There's also a feat for crafting technological arms and armor. So you can make your your high tech weapons. And then there's things like craft a technological item, uh, robots bane, where you can uh, get around the uh, robots' attack mechanisms, so you can you have better defense against against robots. Scavengers luck using time worn technology. Roll twice to determine a glitch effect. Technologist, you can use your you can use the technology skills. So that's the base dependency. Technophobe, gain a morale bonus when you destroy a robot or technological item. Technology adept, gain a bonus on save DCs to resist the effects of technological firearms. And then finally, rest charge, jury rig a depleted battery to hold one, one last charge. Very, very useful skills that integrate technology into your game really easily by by just providing a set of feats. So it's not even a new class or anything, it's just something that someone can take 
and become an expert in this foreign technology or in this this future technology that you've that they've that they've stumbled upon or that you've just introduced as part of your setting and I really like that that it highlights the modularity of the Pathfinder system which I've always liked and and that's that's exactly what what you want when when you're when you're just t tacking on something new to your to your to your setting it's perfect that all you have to do is take a few new feats introduce a couple new spells for your your casters and a new line of equipment and you're done it's now you've got a hybrid fantasy sci-fi world okay so that was the the crafting sort of uh there's also i mean it was a lot more than crafting actually but but that's that's the those are the feats anyway there are also other other um, little minor modifications to things like the disable device, which is, of course, a, a, normally a dex check. It is still a dex check. AC penalty uh, may be imposed whilst disabling the device, and it's a trained skill. So with the technologist feat, you can now use disable device to arm or disarm high-tech explosives or disable electronic triggers and locks. So you become more or less, uh, I guess you could say, a hacker or or a, a, a specialist with, with this science fiction technology. And all you have to do is grab the technologist feat and you, you inherit the, the added ability of, of disabled device applying to, to really purely electronic things, which I think, yeah, there's definitely an argument that a, a rogue who, who can disable really cool mechanical traps, maybe even magical tra traps, maybe they wouldn't be able to just figure out how to do an electronic trap or a, an electronic door with a computer and a keypad or whatever. There's a linguistics uh, modification. That's intelligence, trained only. A character with the technologist's feet can attempt a linguistics check to decipher certain complex messages that appear in Numerian runes. Of course, Numerian is not open game content. It's part of the setting. The idea here, though, is that there is a secret language within the world, within this setting, and because it is a secret language, it is largely why it is, it is sort of the reason, well, there are two reasons. One is the Technology League, but the other reason is that this language simply doesn't, or the Technic League, rather, simply does not you, no one knows the language, so the, the secrets of technology are, are wrapped up in this language. And I think there's quite a lot of... There, there's an analogy there to the real world, because if I showed you uh, some C++ code and told you that it was really, really easy to, to create a simple calculator, it may or may not actually work for you, unless you have linguistics training as a technologist, and you could read this computer language, and then maybe you would see how easy it actually was. So I, I, I like that one because it does assume that there's a little bit of a, a a secret knowledge insofar as it's very, very specialized. Or maybe it is secret. In in, in the Pathfinder world, the the assumption is that it is a guarded secret, that they do not they do not spread the knowledge of technology. And there are there are other books and settings with that 
premise definitely uh so it's it's kind of a it's a t- tried and tested old trope there are some knowledge check modifications or clarifications in some case for instance knowledge arcana cannot be used to identify robots or their abilities and weaknesses which is not intuitive because a, a robot is a construct and that is true it it specifically says robots are constructs but you still can't use knowledge arcana because presumably the robot is not driven by arcana it is it is driven by something else uh, knowledge engineering is the most important skill in the technology in the on the technology side of things because you can use that actually to to look at robots to figure out that they are a robot to figure out weaknesses and so on uh, astronomy is a knowledge geography check for lack of well knowledge astronomy i guess there are some new spells that pathfinder suggests which i quite like because once again if we're if we're melding technology and magic in many ways, although in not, not in all ways, right? Because the knowledge arcana can't tell you about a robot, even though it can tell you about constructs. But in many ways, they they they're kind of on the same. They're in the same same area as as each other. So having spells that are specific to technology, I think, is rather important because a lot of people, when they think of bringing science fiction technology into a fantasy world they think of of the of the worst case scenario or, or of, the, of the modern day scenario really of of bringing a shotgun back to the fantasy world which of course pathfinder already accounts for they have a gunslinger class that they introduce uh in i think advanced players maybe i forget but they 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 allow gunplay in the fantasy world so that does exist but a lot of people can't get their heads around that and they think well if you brought back a shotgun it just would it would you you dominate the 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 game's over and that's because i think that most of us picture everything happening now for some reason i mean i don't know why we do that but i think it is our tendency we think well, a fantasy world is like the Middle Ages, right? Okay, so we just assume everything's like the Middle Ages. And then now is now, so we're pretty familiar with that. So we think of taking a gun from now and going back into the Middle Ages of now and then f- shooting a knight. And the bullet would certainly go right through the, the armor and kill the person. But in a fantasy world, which is not Middle Ages of the planet Earth, there's no reason to assume that the quality of the metal of armor would have been as poor in in this fantasy world as the quality of metal in on the planet Earth in the Middle Ages. There's no reason to assume that at all. Or that the quality of the, the metal of the, the bullets would be so far superior to to armor that it would not pierce that the the metal so i i never really understood the the dissonance between between a fantasy world and modern technology but this kind of strengthens that so if you if you're having a hard time getting your head around how a a laser gun could possibly not kill someone immediately 
and yet you're okay with the idea of burning hands or acid arrow or all of these other ridiculous uh, spells not killing someone immediately, then then I think that this these anti-technology um, spells kind of help help assuage some of that uncertainty. So, for instance, there is an anti-tech field, which uh, requires... It's an abjuration spell, and it requires a druid level 6 or a sorcerer and wizard level 7, 10-foot radius. It, it, um, it is a field that suppresses any technological effect. Now, it doesn't... It doesn't end or, or negate that effect, but it does suppress it for as long as this, the field is, is in duration. Another good one is the Destroy Robot spell, which is a transmutation for druids 5 or sorcerers and wizards of level 6. You attempt to destroy any one robot in range. When you cast the spell, your hand crackles with electricity. You must succeed at a ranged touch, attack, a, a t- touch attack to affect the target. The target takes 12d6 points of damage plus 1 per caster level, or 3d6 of damage plus 1 point per caster level on a successful saving throw. And that is a fortitude, yeah, fortitude spell, uh, saving throw for the robot. So that's a, that's a great one. That just, that's an automatic shutdown command, right? Detect radiation. It's always handy in a science fiction setting. There's a kind of uh, power drain, um, I think it's called, yeah, Discharge, and another Abjuration spell, and it's a pretty low-level one, Bard 3, Cleric 3, Magus 3, Sorcerer Wizard 3, Witch 3, and it just drains the power of, of something. It, it, it reduces the power from, from a battery, from a, from a robot or a, a weapon or whatever you, whatever you affect. There's a Irradiate spell. So in other words, this is a, a system to enable magic and technology to fight in the same world and to negate one another as needed and i think it is needed it's something that you absolutely have to do in order to to well level the playing field i guess but also just to make it that much more believable because it it is difficult sometimes to imagine a world where people could be running around in wizard robes, shot by a laser gun, and not die immediately. This helps remind people, I think, that in Dungeons & Dragons, that's not how things work. And, and it's not just the fact that, okay, you've got, you've got this magic that can protect you from technology, necessarily. I mean, there is armor that, we'll, that I'll, I'll touch on pretty soon here. But there's also just the, the concept, and this, for, for new players especially, I think, and even experienced players sometimes the reminder and and the clarification just sort of speaking it into being is important and that that the idea that that when you hit someone's ac it doesn't necessarily mean that you've even arguably it doesn't even mean that you've physically hit them it simply means that you've just expended or it can mean that you've just expended some of their shall we say some of their luck this is arguable, and it's open to interpretation, but that's kind of how I've seen it for a, for a while now. And that is, sometimes, when you hit someone's AC, you don't necessarily hit them physically. I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you hit their shield, or maybe you, maybe you hit their sword, but they glance, glance it off. 
or, or maybe maybe you do hit them. Maybe you 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 favor just these these enormous heroes who can take slices and dices and bashes and get back up and keep going. I've always found that concept pretty difficult to to imagine. The way I see it is that HP represents the totality of that person's chance to live. And so when you hit someone's AC, it means that that maybe you did fire a laser at them. Maybe they do take HP, they do have to reduce their HP number, but that's not because they're injured right now. It simply means that their luck is running out. They dodged it that time, so they reduce their HP by 8. You could you can flavor it or not that they, they felt the, the laser singe the, the, the hairs on their arm as it passed, but the point is, for me at least, that they now have 8 less of a chance that the next time they they get hit that or that they get fired at they'll be able to dodge it and at some point their hp is going to go way down into like the fives and the threes and the zero range and at that point if they get hit it's over for them which obviously is a little bit more um more realistic right i mean if you get hit by by any number of things that that hit people in the Dungeons and Dragons world, science fiction or not, you go down. So that's for me. That's what HP often represents in my mind. It's just the the probability of when is that final blow actually going to meet its mark. Speaking of all of that, uh, especially AC, there is armor introduced in the technology guide. So there are things like a chameleon suit, for instance. And the chameleon suit, as you might think, is a suit of light-woven fiber that covers the wearer from ankle to wrist and includes a hood and a cowl. Its surface consists of of millions of tiny scale-like lenses and LED screens. When powered on, a chameleon suit analyzes its environment and changes, or rather generates, digital camouflage. So it's a bunch of screens on a on a suit that mimic its surroundings and and projects the the background onto the suit not really all that science fictiony to be honest i think that sort of thing could probably be done today i, I remember i think i saw something that actually did that in real life but it was on an internet video, so I have no idea if it was actually true or not, but obviously the proof of concept wouldn't be that hard to, to drum up in this day and age. The wearer gains a plus 10 competency bonus on stealth checks and can hide in plain sight as a ranger in his favor in favored terrain. The crafting DC for that is 29, the cost for it is 7,500 gold pieces. There's quite a bit of armor in the technology guide, and, and granted the the Starfinder core rulebook has has a a wider variety of armor, and specifically, there's a suit in the Starfinder core rulebook that has a spell reflector quality to it, which I thought was pretty brilliant, and I think would be fun to bring into a Pathfinder setting. Something that a soldier could wear, or anyone could wear, that would increase their ability to well that would protect them from from various spells i think is a really intriguing idea some spell resistance 
or the chance to resist a spell. I quite like that. Weaponry is a lot of fun in the technology guide, and there are there's a lot of familiar stuff here. Taking an easy example would be the arc pistol, which if you have the Starfinder core rulebook, you recognize probably right away. There are some differences, there are some interesting differences. So the arc pistol, for instance, price is 10,000 gold pieces in the technology guide. It's a one-handed weapon, just like in Starfinder. Proficiency exotic firearms. And the damage for a small arc pistol is 1d6 electricity damage. And for a medium-sized arc pistol, it's 1d8 electricity damage. And that's a unique thing about both the Technology Guide and the Starfinder Guide, is that weapons come in different sizes. There's small, and then there's medium. And the, the reason for that is pretty obvious, I think. I mean, you would assume that a, a tiny creature like a, a gnome, or even a halfling, a small creature... I don't suppose a gnome is actually a tiny creature, sorry, small creature, would would not do well with with a, 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 a large pistol, for instance, so having a small version of that just makes sense. The, the interesting thing mechanically is that these small versions actually do less damage, which is kind of funny, and I don't feel like it's technologically accurate. Uh, if anything, it would be reversed, right? The... The, the big old version of technology would do less damage than the smaller, better version, if if Moore's Law has anything to say about it. But in this universe, that's it's not true. The small version is less powerful, it does 1d6 electricity damage. The larger one, the medium-sized version of it, is 1d8. Critic, uh, critical effect is times 2, uh, and, then, and then the range is 50 feet and then there's a capacity of 10 and a usage of one uh, usage is one charge and what that means is that when you fire this thing you use up one charge it is semi-automatic and it is basically a touch attack or i i assume a ranged touch attack and that's kind of interesting too because obviously in the technology guide in the fantasy world you don't have different types of ac Whereas, I mean, you do, you have AC and then touch AC, but in in Starfinder, you've got the different kinds of, you, you've got the kinetic AC and the, the energy AC. So, you don't have that differentiation in the Pathfinder, the Pathfinder setting, which makes it kind of interesting to, to think about how you're going to not not get hit by these things because it all goes off of basically just touch AC or AC, which I guess is why you would want anti-technology um, or yeah, anti-technology magic or, or armor. So um, in the Starfinder core rulebook, arc pistol, uh, arc pistol uh, static uses doesn't fit on the page. Uh, uses it's a second level weapon. And it uses, it's a 50-foot range, it uses two charges, that's what I was looking for, two charges, when you fire it. And it holds 20 charges. I'm not sure what the difference there is, I don't know why they increased it that way, because previously, or in the technology guide rather, it was 10 charges and one use. So I'm not, I'm not, 
not quite sure what the what the mathematical advantages of 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 just boosting it by by two each but anyway that's what they did so so it's pretty pretty similar from starfinder to pathfinder the arc pistol static simply does 1d6 uh, electric damage and that's it the um it has a special effect of stunning an opponent and it costs a mere 750 uh, credits there are more substantial versions of arc pistols there's the arc pistol aurora and the arc pistol storm which are much higher level weapons a lot more expensive and they do things like 3d6 damage and 3d12 damage and i'm assuming that's really just to deal with with higher level play is probably what that's for which i doubt the technology guide really had to worry about more overlap all over the place really but one of my favorites is the zero the zero pistol or i think in the starfinder guide let me switch over to that really quick i think the starfinder yeah it's called frostbite class zero pistol but it's basically the same the same idea they don't look the same like the drawing is actually different the art is different but but the the idea is is the same this is a 10,000 gold piece pistol in the technology guide it's one-handed Damage for a medium size is 1d8. Damage for a small is 1d6. Capacity is 10. Usage, 1 charge. And again, that just means that when you fire it, you use 1 charge rather than, for instance, 2 or 10. A zero pistol fires a beam of freezing particles at high velocity, dealing cold damage to anything it strikes. Any creature critically hit by a zero pistol ray must succeed at a DC 15 fortitude saving throw or become staggered by the cold for one round so cool i really like that one and and the the comparison there would be the frostbite class zero pistol as i said the it's a small um one-handed weapon category is cryo damage 1d6 cold critical you get the staggered effect so there are minor differences here and there but the the feel and and some of the names are exactly the same i could go on and on but i won't because there's just so much in the technology guide and I haven't even really talked about cybertech or just generic techno tech tech gear or the pharmaceuticals or all the different kind of tech hazards that you, your players could come up against. There is just so much. As I said, this is actually a fairly short book for a Paizo product. It's only about 68 pages. But after the after the initial introduction to the concept of Hey, there's technology in your fantasy world now. Here's how to overcome that mental block that you had that that disallows that. It's all it's a, it's just a book of of stuff. It's an it's a gear guide. It is equipment nonstop. So if you are looking to integrate technology into your fantasy world, the technology guide is probably it, you want it to be your first stop. And frankly, I don't see why you couldn't get the technology guide no matter what you're playing. If you're not playing Pathfinder and you are playing D&D, get the book, adapt it a little bit for your game. It's worth it, especially if that's what you want. If it's not worth it for the stats, which it may not be, 
it is worth it for the idea and the skinning, the skinnability of everything. Because as the introduction itself says, you can take any piece of technology and reskin it as magic, or you can take magic and reskin it as technology, and it's a drop-in modification to a standard setting. So why do I like technology in a fantasy setting so much? Well, as I said, I don't actually always like it. It's not something that I, I default to. It's just something that sometimes I do happen to like. But I think the effect that it has on players is that it provides your the, the people in your world access to essentially magic without demystifying magic in any way. There's a common uh, complaint or a common a common thought exercise, maybe, where players and DMs, especially of of D and D, think about how magic could possibly exist in even an imaginary world and just not completely break everything. And it's really, really tricky to make magic seem special in a setting where we all know magic happens all the time. And we don't know that necessarily from from experiencing it in the game. I mean, if you really think about games, there's like a lot of times where magic doesn't really happen. And when it does happen, it doesn't feel very magical. Someone casts suppress-to-digitation spell and... Suddenly the place is cleaned up. That's not really all that magical. We can we can imagine that happening anyway. It just wouldn't be called a prestidigitation spell. It would just be called cleaning up the area really fast. Things like that. It's not super magical, right? And 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 you don't people don't use levitation spells to pass the 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 salt at dinner time. It's just not something that happens throughout the game. So when it does happen and it does seem magical because they you've just you you disintegrate a foe with one spell in in a, at a time when it seems like there was not going to be a way to escape this this problem. Then it seems magical. So the fear for people very frequently is that if they if they if they hand out magic items too often, then no longer will it seem special. It doesn't seem magical anymore. If everyone has a wand of healing, and everyone has a ring of invisibility, and everyone has a sword plus one, and so on. We want our magic to feel magical, and part of the magic is that there is no explanation for it. Now, as I've said, that feels very much, that sounds a lot like technology, because for a lot of us, there's no real explanation that has any meaning to us as to why a computer turns on and shows us graphics at some point. That's magic to us, but it doesn't feel magical, because we know it's technology, it's very common, it's just not special. But something truly magical feels magical, and I feel like introducing technology into a fantasy setting is one way to provide everyday, quote-unquote, magic without harming and in fact helping to preserve the mystique of actual magical spells. 
Case in point is this Frostbite Class Zero pistol, as they call it in Starfinder. It's this laser ray gun that you point at something and you fire it and it, it freezes it. It sends out a cold blast to that person. So you, a non-spellcasting person who happened to take this technologist feat, or maybe you just happened to pick up this weapon, you've just fired it at something and you've dealt cold damage and it feels, it delivers rather, it delivers the same effect as a frost spell. But the wizard who has specialized in frost magic, in ice magic, can do the same thing from the palm of their hand. And there is a difference there. Even though the end result is basically the same, there is absolutely a difference, and everyone is aware of it. One was manifested out of nothingness, from just the core of, of this person's being, or from the, the magical weave that makes up the universe. And the other is dependent upon hardware. And hardware, however magical it may seem sometimes because it works and does things, we all know it's not magic. It's a construct. It's something that someone built. We don't understand how it works. Its effects are mysterious to us. It's not magic. And that, just that little bit of flavor separates magic from technology enough such that technology doesn't actually invade on the preciousness of magic in your setting. And yet it, it, it provides the same kind of, of flavorful power to those who are not magical. It's a great way to have your cake and eat it too. Your players will enjoy it. It's a lot of fun as long as everyone is on board with the idea that you're in a fantasy world with technology. And if they're not into that idea, sit them down for an episode of He-Man. They're, they're quick episodes. They're, they're silly. They're Saturday morning cartoons from, from the 80s. But if, if they like that feel, if they like the idea that in this magical kingdom... There are people wielding both swords and flying on hovercraft. It just totally somehow makes sense. It totally works. And for some reason, the person with the sword can defeat that person firing a laser at them. And no one ever questions it. It's a great mix of, of sci-fi and fantasy. It provides for a really unique world. It's a lot of fun try it out. I'll put a link to the technology guide in the show notes. And of course, there's also Starfinder itself. There's plenty of material out there for you to, to glean ideas from and to codify into rules in your actual game. Well worth looking at. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.